are listening to the Ferndale Library podcast. It's called A Little Too Quiet, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo. I'm the host and producer of this podcast, and I'm very excited to have two writers on this podcast, Jim Daniels and M.L. Liebler. They are the editors who helped curate quite an epic book, collection of poetry called Respect, the Poetry of Detroit Music, which came out in early 2020, but was recently awarded a Michigan Notable Book by the Library of Michigan. This is an incredible collection of poetry and lyrics celebrating the city. A hundred years of history, really, and different genres through the decades, and uh, demonstrating really the global impact of Detroit's music scene. And you have some very impressive names attached to this who have given their words to the pages here that Jim Daniels and M.L. Liebler have arranged. You have contributions from Eminem, Jack White, Paul Simon, Nikki Giovanni. The list goes on. The late Philip Levine, you have Billy Bragg from across the pond, and and so many more, including contributions from M.L. Liebler and Jim Daniels, and lots of Detroit writers, great contemporary Detroit writers and poets as well. Jim Daniels is the author of six fiction collections, 17 poetry collections, and four produced screenplays, and he has edited five anthologies. Along with this one, M.L. Liebler is the author of 15 books as well, and has been on faculty in the English department at Wayne State University since 1980. And uh, these, both of these gents are in academia. Both of them have published their own works, but this, Respect, Poetry of Detroit Music, is a labor of love, really, and we get to talk to them about that. This is our interview. And joining us now on the Ferndale Library Podcast is Jim Daniels, writer, poet, professor of English at the Thomas Stockham Baker University of Carnegie Mellon, and M.L. Liebler, poet, writer, literary arts activist, and Wayne State University professor. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. Good to be here. And you're both here because you edited, I don't use this word lightly, a tome, really a tome of nearly 500 pages of an epic poetry collection Respect the Poetry of Detroit Music, recently honored Michigan Notable Book. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Before I got you know, into this project and how it started, I'd, I'd love to hear just a bit about how you two met. You're in two different states. What's your history? Well, Jim's, Jim's from uh, Warren originally. All right. He's uh, from my side of town. So that, that's, uh, how did we meet? I, I remember you read at Macomb. God, yeah, that was like 40 years ago. <laughs> just about, yeah. Because um, my, you know, my family's there. My family's still there. I talked to my dad today. He's in Sterling Heights now. So even though I've been in Pittsburgh a long time, I still consider uh, Detroit, Detroit area my home. And I met an ML, you know, he's been a major force in the Detroit and national poetry scene for a long time. So uh, we've done a lot of things together, and uh, we've been good friends. And this 
project made us even better friends, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great to work, you know, close with you on this. I wanted to know whether or not the timeline of the curation of this began before or after the passing of Aretha Franklin. Before. Okay. Yeah, before. Okay. Yeah, it was before. But it does seem like a nice tribute as you mentioned in the forward. So Yes. Right, but right. Tell no, me. but it, yeah, we were working on it maybe a year before that. We had titled it something else, but uh, right after Aretha passed, we figured uh, that, it was only right. Yeah, I had a kind of obscure title that that I liked, but um, but yeah, respect is better. I feel like there could be could have been several things that inspired this. Was there one pure guiding light for the two of you? One Eureka thing that really pushed you the whole time? Well, I mean. Uh, I had done, as the story goes, um, I had done this uh, collection of essays that you may know about that also won a Michigan Notable uh, four years ago called Heaven Was Detroit. And my original idea for Heaven, what became Heaven Was Detroit was to do an anthology sort of like the Working Words anthology that I had done uh, with Coffee House before that, which was working class writing. So it had poems and stories and, and uh, creative nonfiction in it. And I sort of envisioned a, a version of, um, or a version of that to be a literary reader for Detroit, you know, creative writing about Detroit music. Um, it, it, when I proposed it that way, Wayne was more interested in having it creative nonfiction. So that, which was fine. And it's a great uh, collection. Um, the, you know, so I still had that idea in the back of my mind and, um, and Jim knew about my idea and he mentioned it to someone he knew uh, at the um, university of Michigan press. And um they weren't as interested, but he does his fiction publishing with Michigan State. Jim does his um, his fiction is is all out of the other than Bottom Dog, the first one. But um, so he had you know friends there, and we pitched it to him, and they they loved the idea. Is that sort of a accurate history, Jim? I think so. Yeah. Once we got in the door, as you can uh, see from the book, it's pretty. It's a tone. <laughs> yeah, I think I think at first we were we wanted it to be like well, I was envisioning maybe 150 pages, yeah. um, and and I think the the publisher uh, Michigan State was thinking in those terms too. But then it just kept kind of we you know we get we'd learn about other poems as songs lyrics that dealt with Detroit, and then we went on a deep dive to get those if we could. I think the tone might be inevitable because you you structured this book really nicely. And I don't know if that structure was there to begin with, but you delineated it by genre. So we do have we have blues, rock and roll, techno. We have all of these different personalities of Detroit music. So that probably increased the length, too. So instead of just a catch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it may have done that as well. But I, I think we were, I was envisioning it and, um, and Jim, too. Uh, envisioning it as a, um, you know, along the lines of heaven was Detroit, 
which goes kind of in that order here. What was the uh, emotional drive behind it? I know that's an obvious question, but can you speak on that? You speak beautifully in the opening about how over the last 10, 15 years, really 10 years, there have been lots of autopsies of Detroit, especially post bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. idea of sort of not ever forgetting how much music comes from here to talk about that. Yeah, no, it's a labor of love, definitely. And ML's a musician, so yeah, I mean, it was. Oh just come bad. on! I'm not a musician. I tell musicians what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they. I don't do it. <laughs> I think. No, that, it's yeah. It's ahead. always been a love, so uh, for both of us. I mean, Jim's written quite a bit about in his own uh, poetry and and he in his stories too. There's placement of Detroit music. I mean, we both kind of grew up around the same time um, and in, in the same area on the east side. I'm from St. Clair Shores, and, uh, and and he lived and grew up in Warren. And, you know, I think a couple years younger, which is good book, really, because some of the things Jim writes about are things that sort of come after the period. He wrote about Alice isn't one of your poems about Alice Cooper? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, one of the things about since the book came out is a lot of people don't know all the musicians and poets that have come out of Detroit in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So Alice Cooper isn't that identified with Detroit, but he clearly identified mm-hmm. Detroit and is influenced by it. You hear him talk, you know, he's really passionate about Detroit and Detroit music. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there is this coming of age thing that's connected to music being like a so- soundtrack for your life. And the School's Out album, the original version, did come with the record uh, sleeve was a pair of women's uh, panties. And so as a young boy, Sure. That kind of was exciting. <laughs> Not so exciting to my mother, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and see, and that, so I don't know, you're, he's a couple of years uh, behind me. So uh, by the time School's Out Forever came out in my my little world, um, you know, uh, Alice Cooper is kind of passe at that point. Mm-hmm. Um I really, I really, we really loved his first album. Uh, th- um, what was it called? Thrill or Kill It to Death or something like that. One was that. called Killer. Oh, Killer. And Killer was one of the, it was one of the ones I remember too. But um, mostly I'd say that first album, you know, with 18 on it. And. Um, with the Death, was that it? Yes, that's it. That's it. Now he had, uh, Cooper had been with, and I knew that. You know, uh, Frank Zappa produced this, the first two albums of, of Alice Cooper's. They're really not in the same vein. They're pretty good, but they're not in the same vein as what he transformed into, um, you know, with the, uh, the the album that we're talking about, his first kind of big, big album. Because the, the Frank Zappa produced ones didn't really go anywhere. And I don't even know if people think of those as in the same school of Alice Cooper, mm-hmm. or if they even know about it. They probably don't know about it. Let's talk more about how the book came together, because I don't think that it necessarily probably came together in a traditional sense for the way that 
poetry books are collected because some of these are songs, some of these are older works, and you know, this seems like this book kind of came together almost in the spirit of a community mural rather than, hey, would you like this poem in your book? We'll give you some royalties for it. It was more like, hey, would you give us some work? It'll be a celebration. Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was uh, it was a wild goose chase in a way. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was wonderful in terms of one thing leading to another, somebody knowing something about this other poem. And, you know, ML has a lot of the musical connections where we were able to get you know getting permissions to reprint all this stuff was uh that's that's the not fun part of doing an anthology but on the other hand in terms of that community uh issue that you raised people were more than willing to waive any you know fees and help us out and uh because we didn't have any money really we just had the enthusiasm right right and 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 so that's um that's a really good observation that you made about it um, because, you know, everybody did kind of contribute uh, in the spirit of community, uh, similar to with the working words book that I did with on working class stuff, people, you know, famous people, songwriters, in that case, Bob Dylan and others, you know, were willing to uh, pitch in for nothing. Mm-hmm. In fact, what I always found, even with the book that we were doing uh, that, with respect, is all the musical people send their stuff back like really quick. Mm-hmm. You get a license from, um, you know, Robbie Robertson or Paul Simon or, you know, like faster, way faster than a poet who just, you know, is new on the scene. Also key here is that you have folks who are, Local authors, local poets, uh, you know, John Jeffire, Diane DeSillis, all these all these cool people. You get to introduce them to a wider audience. You have, of course, folks like Jack White throwing something in, which is exciting. You also have uh, Sasha Ferrer Jones and Billy Bragg, folks from outside. So you you went out and got folks who weren't just from the Mitten State um, to to demonstrate that influence, right, of this music. Yeah, yeah. Jim, why don't you talk about that? What I, I oh, mean. yeah. Well, you know, I actually was able to give a copy of the book to Billy Bragg in England. Wow. He was so excited uh, because of the influence of Motown on, on him and his career and, uh, and everything. And the, also the political aspect of this, which is, is you know, I'm always talking about the whole sort of working class spirit. And I think that's behind a lot of the music that's come out of Detroit. People come at it in different ways. But if you look across the five genres that we have represented there, it, it comes up in every genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the work, the migration from the South to work in the factories, the noise of the factories and the repetition influence various music. And it's, it's really fascinating. And, uh, in in hearing the music and reading the the way people responded to it, there it really I mean if if there's one word to describe the work in this book, I think it's gritty. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of soul there, but there's grit too. Yeah, uh, this yeah. is this is an ab- this is abstract to say, but when I read a lot of these poems, I feel like I'm on the concrete on the streets of Detroit. I'm just, it's an abstract reading. I feel that grit. I feel like I'm there in my head. 
That's great. Yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's the ultimate goal with, uh, with a book like this is also, you know, to kind of uh, show people the landscape mm-hmm. uh, of Detroit you know, who may never have been here, but everyone's heard of it. I mean, overseas, and that was something that was in our minds too, uh, because I taught a Detroit class a couple of times in, in Munich. Wayne has a program there. And, um, and, and the students, are, you know, totally in love with the music. They know more than most of my students at Wayne State know about Detroit and Detroit music. And some even came over from Germany to see things in person. They mm-hmm. went to the Motown Museum. I mean, this is like holy land for a lot of people like that. Right. Uh, folks here in the Midwest might not be as familiar with the genre or phrase Northern soul, but they definitely know it over in Europe. Oh, yeah. Well, that's and that also allowed us uh, like in my other book, it was, you know, we had Motown, but and then pre-Motown. But in this book, we were able to just by using the term Northern Soul, then we could include Aretha in that and, you know, from other labels and other camps and that sort of thing. And then something else that's kind of a consistent narrative, especially over the last 10 years, again, coming back from bankruptcy and all, all of that narrative is that, you know, Detroit has sort of sometimes some of us have embraced it or some it's been cast upon us that we've had this sort of underdog status or that we we need to to demand that respect almost i'm thinking of the title respect because when i think of all the other cities i feel like it's all a little more generally accepted chicago blues memphis soul all these other little music meccas across the country get that respect why do i just feel that detroit still doesn't get the respect after motown of course everyone knows motown but that's what i love about this book is that it shows the myriad of genres but did that yeah. did that demand for respect that underdog thing play in for you guys at all? Am I reading that? Well, I'll I'll say for me personally, it's it's always there. I think it's part of the DNA in Detroit, and um, and, and it's you know I'm doing some uh, research on on this uh, book on Black Bottom, and so I'm learning some things that I I didn't know before uh, about about Detroit, but. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that it, there's, as I say, sometimes it's in the water in Detroit, you know, uh, and it, what it really is. And I think Jim really can relate to this too. I've, I've not heard him talk about it, uh, it, other than in his poems exquisitely. But, uh, when you come from a working class home, it's a different e- experience well, even with young people nowadays, you know, young people nowadays, I ask my students how many, uh, and I've always asked that question over the years, uh, how many of your, your parents work in a factory? And that has consistently gone down to often no hands go up in a classroom type of thing. I, I'm not saying that the, it's better for them or any of that, because I think that's got its whole other uh, issues to, to be dealt with. But um, there's a certain reality, uh, a, a certain environment when you are brought up in in the home of, let's say, a factory worker. Mm-hmm. It's 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 different. I don't know. You know, it's different than many of the positions maybe people do nowadays, which is probably in service, uh, you know, service area. But um, so what 
what I think we found is that the, uh, you know, that is that feeling and that sensibility is baked into the, into the music, into the poetry. And it's interesting when people who aren't from here, um, you know, write about it because they know the music too. And to see what their take is on it. You know what I mean? So that's what I think it's, it has, it, it all starts at home. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of us uh, have this little chip on our shoulder, I yeah. think. And uh, it comes out in various ways. And I, you know, I've been in Pittsburgh for 40 years, right? Pittsburgh does. I love Pittsburgh, but it doesn't have the music scene right. that anywhere close to Detroit right. uh, in terms of an identity or a culture that uh, is really, really at the heart of so much in Detroit mm-hmm. in terms of the these self-expression in about a very complicated uh, city. Mm-hmm. And I think when people tend to oversimplify it or dismiss it in some ways, you know, that gets up our hackles. And one thing that we, I think, that, that does unify us mm-hmm. across a lot of different lines is the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yeah. that. And, and I was just going to say that people, uh, a lot of people realize that in other places. And, and so, so sort of like the Cleveland Browns, maybe that's an example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the, always down, and, but people are, you know, still hoping and mm-hmm. rooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 69 Miracle Mets are like that, too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so... When I, I, I did this thing in New York uh, in front of a big audience um, and I met, you know, talked about Detroit and the grit of Detroit and that sort of thing. And pe- people, you know, even though the room wasn't filled with Detroiters, they were really appreciative. They were clapping and hooting and it was kind of like, yeah, Detroit. And it's like, where are you from? Oklahoma, but Detroit, you know. Like, so. <laughs> That's a good point, though, to, to bring up. Going back to that, that those factories, that blue collar mentality with, with Detroit, uh, nothing, nothing is expected. Everything is earned. There's no sense of entitlement. There's also no putting on airs. There's no facade. There's no trying to impress everyone. This is all real talk. And that comes through on these pages. Mm-hmm. You have the, the both of you written all your lives, published several books. What beyond anything else we already covered? What about this book? sets it apart from anything else you've worked on in terms of a, a literary project. What was one of, if not some of, the most fulfilling aspects of it? You want to tell them your ideas, Jim, and I'll tell them mine. Right well, it was fun, you know, and ML and I are both obviously, you know, academics on some level. We've been teaching in universities for a long time. And one of the things about poetry, on the other hand, is that there can also be a kind of elitism and, uh, you know, obscurity that gets rewarded in various ways when I'm sitting there scratching my head wondering what the hell they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, so the connection between that plain spokenness that you're talking about, uh, you know, I, I extend that into poetry and music both. And so bringing those two things together, I have a poem that talks about, you know, going to a, a rock concert really had more influence on me becoming a poet than the poet than the poetry we were studying in high school that was very intimidating to me and so for me the unique aspect of this project is it combined two of my lifelong interests and obsessions in terms of 
you know, how I try to communicate in my own writing and how these people try to communicate. And I think we, we ended up with just a wonderful, incredible combination of things. So when we did the book launch at uh, uh, Jack White's uh, Third Man Records in Detroit and had, I don't know how many contributors up on stage, it felt pretty darn good mm-hmm. to be with that group of people. And so for me, that, there was, it was a real kind of warmth that this project brought out for me that more than anything else I did. I do because as a writer, you're writing by yourself, but here you're part. You're creating this community of uh, cool people that you you want to hang out with. Yeah, I would just. I mean, that's that. That's all you know. True for me too. Uh, in my case, you know, with it is obviously I've had a strong connection to music. It's always drawn me in. Going back to my grandparents, my grandmother who raised me uh, and and weaned me on Elvis. But, it, you know, it, it, so this was a chance to really do a dive into the thing that has been associated with me for all, basically all of my life. Um, and it's kind of like I, it's, it's sort of like at Wayne State, you know, I, I sometimes I teach a Beatles class and we do this study abroad. We've been, well, we've done it up until COVID. And it's like, yeah, I'm teaching a class, another class as we're given. Uh, but then again, it's like, yeah, but it's the Beatles, you know, this, yeah. You know, how much can I, and I do the, I do Detroit too. So, you know, how much uh, can I complain about that? So it was a chance to work really close with music and work with Jim, which was really uh, a, a strong a point too. Because we we know each other and we do this and that and we have the similar interests, but uh, to have the chance and he's been a part of just about everything that I've done before, so it was just good to kind of work one on one with him. I think he's more much more organized than I am. <laughs> well, that was a challenge for anyone with the, you know trying to put everything into one file and. <laughs> right, you're right. You're right. If it had been half that size, it would been easier. Yeah, to, to, to find out where people were at uh, and track them down. One last thing I could say is that a good portion of these poems seem to be inspired by or even directly about the inherent thrill that, that comes with seeing live music, which, as we all know, is something we've been deprived of for a year. But what I like about this book, and, you know, this is a sentimentalist pitch, but if you... If you get this book, it is kind of like getting an album. These do all feel like songs. <laughs> and even if you can't see live music, you could get this book and read it out loud to yourself in the living room. And it'll feel like music. That's what I think, guys. Yeah, well. Yeah, amen to that. That's I can't great. wait to go to uh, hear live music again. Yes, <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> this this book is is uh, tiding me over until, until I can. I'll speak for myself. Hopefully others. So uh, There is a playlist for the book on uh, Spotify. What I think it's what the title of the book is. Okay. Okay. Isn't Respect uh, Detroit Music Playlist or something. And it's much it it kind of follows the book mm-hmm. with and then, you know, and more. But it uh that was the idea of sequencing it pretty much together is it starts with the jazz blues. Beautiful. 
Yeah. I didn't even know that part. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, Gentlemen, congrats on this book. It came out a year ago, but it has recently been christened with the Michigan Notable, and uh, we will have links in the show notes. Uh, I cannot thank you enough, Jim Daniels, M.L. Liebler, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you. And that was Jim Daniels and M.L. Liebler joining me virtually over Zoom. Jim from Pennsylvania, M.L. Liebler from here in Michigan. But uh, sharing their love, of course, for the history of Detroit music and detailing the process of getting this book together. The Poetry of Detroit Music is called Respect, recently awarded as a Michigan notable book. And there is a playlist, of course. I went on and on about how this feels like it's an album and it feels like there's literal music on the pages of this book, but you can find a Spotify playlist called Respect, which we're going to link to in the show notes. And it just has the music that goes through the genres, blues, rock, techno, everything. So it's a great companion to reading this book. Highly would recommend it, of course. And we thank Jim Daniels and M.L. Liebler for joining us. And we thank you for listening. If you'd like to support this podcast, rate, review, or subscribe. Maybe just tell a friend. And you can visit ferndalefriends.org for more information and ways to support. We are brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. This is the podcast, A Little Too Quiet. My name is Jeff Milo. And once again, thanks for listening. Thank you.